Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. Chrisanne Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. It's just me flying the submarine alone tonight. JC's got a meeting that he had to be at, and so, uh, we, man, this is going to be, well, you know, when uh, Chrisanne is here, the whole Liberty Classroom is in session. This is gonna be a teach show. This is something that I've been wanting to look at for some time now. There's an article that I've been keeping in my box uh, to share with you. And this is what we're gonna, one of the things that we're gonna be going over today, why the US Constitution needs to be changed. And this is a very interesting article I wanna go over with you today. Uh, but first, so there's a little bit of housekeeping that I want to I want to do a couple things I want to talk about before we get into yesterday. Yesterday, oh my goodness, was it yesterday? Yeah, today is Tuesday. It was yesterday. <laughs> so um, yesterday we talked about unions, and uh, one of our followers here and on Facebook contacted me and gave me something to think about about public sector unions. Now remember, I am not uh, opposed to unions as a whole. I object to the corruption that they've become. My family was part of the establishment of some of the uh, of of one of the very first unions in America. So, um, I you know I know why they were started. I know the good that they did. And there is still good that's being done. It's just the corruption. It's like they've been taken over by the mafia. And, and it's all about... It really, what really saddens me is that the unions have become the very... Uh, let me put it this way. Instead of generalization, since Andy has, has so kindly corrected me. Um, the bad unions have become the very thing that they were fighting against in the beginning. And so what Andy was telling me um, was that he was, let me see, to do, to do, he was the uh, president of Local 3909, uh, and they were the union over the firefighters, okay? And what he tells me is that, and I'm not going to tell you where it is because he, and I'm not going to tell you his whole last name or anything, but I'm just Andy and this, right? So, um, he tells me that the county commission were constantly engaged in what I consider shady or illegal practices. They were well known for passing laws, which they knew were and were informed were illegal and their response was, so sue us. So how many people do you know that work in government that their response is when you tell them, so sue us, right? And, I, and that's the evil part of it. JC and I talked about this uh, yesterday about uh, qualified immunity and that when you sue these officials, they like, sue me. It doesn't cost them a dime. It's the taxpayer dollars. And that's why we need real reform in accountability of these things so that it actually costs these county commissioners something instead of them having deep, uh, well, let me put it this way, our deep pockets. And so here's, here's what Andy says. He says, um, when I took over as president, we were the lowest paid fire department. We had the highest cost of living in the state. We had no contact, no contract with the county. With the assistance of a rep from the union, I wrote a contract and presented it to the county with a letter requesting meetings to negotiate. Under state law, they were required to negotiate in good faith. What they actually did for months was set meetings and cancel the day before or hours before the meeting. Multiple times, the union rep from D.C. flew in or drove down only to have meetings canceled or rescheduled. Once it was clear that the, what they were up to, we set up pickup li picket lines outside the county commissioner's meeting until they actually began bargaining. We eventually got a contract which included a pay scale that was average for the state and they got some other things. And 
here's the thing. This would not have what what is a union? A union is an organization of workers. That's that's really all it. That's why it's called a union. It's the uniting of the workers for their common cause. And the problem is not the unions. The problem is when you don't have a choice. You see, I'm not for states creating laws to block unions from forming. That's not liberty. And I'm not for states forcing people to be part of a union or forcing people to pay dues to a union when they're not even a member. That actually happens. And so what I want us to understand here is that the key is liberty. Organizing for liberty. And that's, that's what we don't have in many of our unions today. We don't have um, liberty because they have yoked up. They have been taken over by a bunch of corrupt, greedy, right? They're supposed to be for the working man. And they're just like the big corporate cats that they're supposed to be against. They're trying to bully people into being part of the union. Bully people into paying union dues when they're not even part of the union. Why can they do that? How can they do that? They can do that because they have done what they complained the big fat cats were doing. They've yoked up with their uh, politicians and created an unnatural relationship with, with the unions and the politicians. So now that the unions operate under the force of government, that's not what the unions were formed for. And the time that we have forced unions and the time that we have people who cannot be a part of a union those are both the, the, well there we have a friend who says there's a ditch on either side of the road try to stay in your lane right so the problem again like capitalism capitalism is not the problem the problem is an unnatural relationship between corporations and lawmakers so that they're not held accountable to the law, so that there's a whole different standard for them. So capitalism is not the problem. Greed and corruption are the problem. You see, it's the whole thing that I'm always trying to teach. Liberty is freedom plus morality. You have to have morality for America to work because America is built on liberty and liberty is built on understanding that we are created free, but there are certain things we shouldn't do because they're wrong. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the primary principle. And as you're loving your neighbor, you're not stealing from them. You're not forcing them to give you money. You're not forcing them to, to provide you with a house or to provide you with health care. That's not liberty. Liberty or self-government governance requires people to have a working, practicing knowledge of, of liberty. And that liberty and freedom are not the same. Liberty is freedom plus morality. That's why we have, I have my, my t-shirt on to, let me see if I can back up for my microphone freak out. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over personality. This is a t-shirt now that you can find at uh, our uh, Liberty Gear store. If you go to chrisannhall.com, we have lots and lots of Liberty Gear we have our right to keep and bear arms shirt. We have so many other things, but this t-shirt that I'm wearing today is some of our new t-shirts. Ladies, can we buy our daughters some women of courage, you know, so we stop having the schools teach about Margaret Sanger and, and Hillary Clinton and what heroes they are and 
teach them instead about Mercy Otis Warren and Penelope Barker and you know we need to get this education out there to change the way we think I mean that's part of what what this article that I want to talk to you about today about why the Constitu US Constitution needs to be changed it's not obviously my idea that the Constitution need to be changed but obviously there there is a a growing portion of the American psyche that believes that the Constitution needs to be changed and we need to talk about this because we need to be able to 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 be apologist for the Constitution now you won't understand that word apologist doesn't mean that you're apologizing for it it means that you can defend it and you can defend it with confidence boldness and surety um, my friend Carlos sent me this article and I wanted to share it with you I just got it before the show started so <laughs> I don't have a time to get it up on the screen but the um, this article is in the Seattle Times and it's the N the, the headline is the NSA found Microsoft software flaw and alerted the company rather than weaponize the problem and so the National Security Agency recently discovered a major flaw in Microsoft's Windows operating system one that could expose computer users to significant breaches surveillance disruption and alerted the company about the problem rather than turning it into a hacking weapon officials announced on Tuesday <laughs> Carlos made me laugh because Carlos said uh, are we supposed to now be thankful to the NSA for what they've done and the question is why why would they do that of everything I mean they're always hacking into our stuff they're always begging for a back door I mean we've we've covered this when the director of the NSA sat before Congress under the Obama administration and and demanded that Apple provide them with a back door well uh, so the question is why would they alert the company rather than use it well in my humble opinion it's because this hole was so big and I don't know if you know this they use the government uses Microsoft software so if they find a huge hole in Microsoft software not only can could they weaponize it but so could everybody else right so how do they fix it they provide the information to Microsoft so that Microsoft pays all the money to fix the hole right and so now the hole is fixed well I don't know if the hole is fixed but the hole is fixed and the NSA didn't have to pay for it and I believe that's also because the NSA already has a backdoor to Microsoft they don't need a new one they just need Microsoft to fund the fixing of a hole that would provide access to their material from other countries uh, not ours so nope sorry call me a cynic but I don't believe that uh, the NSA has our best interest in mind on this one so alrighty everybody are you ready to buckle your seats and get into the Chris Ann Hall uh, Liberty Classroom and we're gonna go over this article called why the US Constitution needs to be changed written by a man named Samir Chopra now when I'm teaching at when I'm teaching at River University and we teach the uh, and I teach the research and writing class now I really want you guys to get this because this is important I actually read an article the other day where a poll was I don't even think it was on a conservative site where the poll said that fact-checking doesn't change minds now I was really disturbed by that but it's also not surprisingly shocking to me either and so what this poll found was that when politicians said things in speeches or at campaign ads or something like that and the fact checks came out afterwards showing how they had twisted the facts or they had just flat out lied right 
It turns out that according to this poll, now remember, I am under the firm belief that polls are not to be trusted. Liar, uh, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. And poll companies know how to write questions to appease the guy that's paying the check, right? So you know how to write a question to get the answers to make the guy who's writing the check happy so he'll keep writing checks to you. I mean, it's just, you know, good business. But the poll says that a good number of people, upon finding out that their political candidate, both conservative, they pointed out both conservative and liberal sides to this thing, so it wasn't just the conservatives not wanting to fact check and it wasn't just the liberals wanting to fact check. This was a bipartisan problem. So they said once presented with the fact checking things, right, it became very clear that the people did not care about the facts. You see, that's why on this show we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over personality. And we have, we have become, in our politics, a very cult of personality people. Now, I won't say we haven't always been that way, but it's really sort of galvanized over the years. And so it's really, really disturbing to me to know how deeply seated at least this particular poll says it is. And I see that, and I think that's a lot has to do with the kind of mentality we've been driven into by the duopoly, the political duopoly that we live in. You know, we have to choose the lesser of two evils. Dexter Sanders, great man that I just met the other day. We spoke at the God and Country rally in Lakeland, Florida. And he said, I, I didn't vote for Trump. He said, I voted against Hillary Clinton. I mean, seriously, how many of you can raise your hand right now and say, I didn't vote for Trump. I voted against Hillary Clinton. And, and he's like, I'm just going to be honest with you. And so here's what happens. We get into this personality war and we're, we're conditioned in that way because we have so few choices, right? And so when I'm teaching at River University in the School of Government, I have a research and writing course that I teach because it's important for us to learn how to think instead of what to think. I always teach my students that you have to know who the authors of the articles are and you have to know the the uh, medium they're being printed on, right? So what? tell me about the newspaper they're printed in. Tell me about the website they're printed on. Tell me about the author. Because these are the basic understandings so you can get the kind of spin that's going to be woven into these presentations. So let me talk to you about Samar Chopra first. And thank you, Dragon Stallion 1001, for your super chat donation today. I am so grateful. He says, Chrisanne, thank you for the education because Google hasn't figured out how to hand our teacher an apple through the video screen. <laughs> thank you. That's awesome. He Dragon Stallion 1001 gave me a, a proverbial apple. <laughs> through the super chat. So now you see me smile. This is, I think this might be the first apple I've ever received as a teacher. While I've taken this break, let me find this, move my computer out of the way. I put this <laughs> on the desk so I wouldn't forget. I wanna say thank you to Lisa Bennett. Lisa Bennett sent me a really, really beautiful card in it. Uh, she said, sending you this free in quotations because she knows there is nothing that's free uh, she says I finally caught your mailing address and I wanted to send you my do donation to support your trips to DC and so I just wanted to say uh, thank you to Lisa Bennett on the air for supporting us you know we took three trips to DC this year we have more planned um, we and and this is not a personality thing this is just a factual thing. We've had more invitations to go and speak through the Trump administration than we've ever had with any other administration. And I'm going to take those opportunities to educate because as Dragon Stallion recognized, I'm a teacher. I am a teacher at heart and this is what I do. So if I'm going to get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., I am going to teach whoever I can. And we are so grateful for those of you because 
this is our job, right? This is our job. So if we don't have this, uh, if we don't have your support, these trips to G DC just simply are not possible. So Samir Chopra, by the way, let's go back and look at the title of the article. We'll put you back here on the web. Why the U.S. Constitution needs to change. Well, you and I know both know that should be right there a clue. Now we also know from this page that it is printed on uh, an, a website called Eon and the author is Samar Chopra. So Samar Chopra is a professor at the Brooklyn College uh, at the uh, city of, um, I don't know, New York University, City University of New York, that's what it is, the City University of New York. Why can 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 someone take a second and tell me here why do we have all of these liberal attorneys on the coasts? I, I mean seriously, when I was talking about the limited property rights of the federal government, not owning federal lands, not owning national parks, not controlling all of this stuff. I was attacked by it like crazy from Oregon law professors. And, and we have, I talked to you, I don't know if it was yesterday or last week, I talked to you about the professor from the University of Baltimore. And now we've got this professor from, from, um, from Brooklyn. What is it about the coasts? that makes people just so whacked out leftist, Marxist, communist, is it because it's the whole rural, urban thing? You know Thomas Jefferson said that America would be a mostly moral place if we stayed primarily agricultural. He said once we uh, become urbanized and we're stacked on top of each other like we are like they are in most of the cities in Europe he says we'll become just as immoral as they are so maybe that has something to do with it I don't know so Samar Chopra wants to pontificate to us about why the Constitution needs to be changed now this is the hypocrisy of these people right because he's he's an he's an AI guy He's in mathematics. He is. Uh, he has the phys he, His research interests are the phys uh, philosophical foundations of artificial intelligence, politics and ethics of technology, the legal theory of artificial agents, the philosophy of law, logical foundations of artificial intelligence, and we know from some other places that he's actually a mathematician. So I, I want to know. If, oh, sorry, wrong spot. <laughs> I want to know if I am constantly being trashed by people like Chopra because I don't work for some Ivy League college. I have a degree in law. By the way, I have more courtroom experience than 95% of the lawyers in America. Why? Because only 3% of the lawyers in America go to, go, ever enter into the courtroom, period. I mean, I, mean, I guess maybe some people don't know that because TV makes it look like every lawyer goes into the courtroom. No, they don't. Very, very few lawyers actually enter into a courtroom. And when you're a prosecutor, you're always in the courtroom. And when you're a prosecutor of a small county, you're always in the courtroom and you're handling a whole bunch of different cases because you're the only one handling the cases. And that's my experience. And so my experience in law and my experience in the courtroom doesn't measure up, they would say, to Samar Chopra's experience to, to write about the Constitution. Now, don't get me wrong. I am among, I, I hold the opinion that the Constitution is simple enough that anybody can understand it. I'm just asking, what's the hypocrisy here? Why is it that I am dinged, right? Why is it that I can't? be in authority or teach people on the Constitution because I don't have some vetted textbook 
that I'm teaching from, and I don't have some Supreme Court justice who, who you know, I clerked for or something ridiculous by that. Anyway, just my pet peeve. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant there for a second. So he's on, uh, the article's posted on Eon, and it's just interesting because Eon is, they describe themselves as having a modern cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan view on society. And so I just wanted to teach you, because uh, remember, if you're going to read an article, you got to know who's writing it, who's publishing it, and what's their spin, right? So cosmopolitanism is the ideology that all human beings belong to a single community based on a shared morality. A person who adheres, uh, adheres to the idea of cosmopolitanism in any of its forms is called a, a cosmopolitan or a cosmopolite. And so it says a cosmopolitan community might be based on an inclusive morality, a shared economic relationship, or a political structure that encompasses different nations. In a cosmopolitan community, individuals from different places form relationships of mutual respect, blah, 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 blah. So basically, I don't even know. They just, they, they believe, I, I, you know what I think they're trying to say? They're communists and they believe in the collective society. Bottom line, that's what it is. And you can't get any different idea when you read this article written by Samar Chopra. So Samar Chopra's article, uh, Why the Constitution Needs to Change, he takes the Indian Constitution and the U.S. Constitution and compares them as if they are similar in ideological nature. And let me show you what he means. He says, the United States and India are the two are two of the world's largest and oldest democracies and are both governed on the basis of written constitutions. <laughs> we're really grasping at straws here when we're when we're drawing this comparison right and the main crux of his of his article is that the Constitution needs to be rewritten because it needs to be easier to change I'm not lying he says um, <laughs> it's interesting one of the inspirations for the Constitution of India drafted between 1947 and 1950 was the US Constitution both Indians and Americans revere their constitutional rights he puts those in quotation marks especially the fundamental right he puts in quotation marks of free speech and the separation of state and religion um, that's a very interesting way to put that a little nice little twist on separation of church and state you see how these little things get twisted because the principle accurately spoken is separation of church and state church and state not religion and state and so what we need to understand I want to pause there for just one second because this is a very important distinction that needs to be made separation of church and state is the separation of two entities religion in the sense that I know he's trying to use is not the the organized entity it's not a body of thing right it's not an organization when we say separation of church and state, what we mean is separation of, of the government from the organization of the body of the church. Separation of church and state means that government has no business telling the people how to run their church, what they can and cannot say from their pulpits, what they can and cannot do as a practice of their church. They cannot dictate conscience. 
Now that's different than separation of state and religion. Because what he means by separation of state and religion is that your faith-based ideology has no business in government. And that's not what separation of church and state means. Separation, and I teach this at Liberty First University. I'll just go ahead and since I'm putting it up there, I'll give you this to you. I teach this at libertyfirstuniversity.com in the religious liberty class. So if you have some kind of, of, of shortcoming and understanding on separation of church and state, if you have questions about separation of church and state, we have several courses that will help you at Liberty First University. One is my husband's um, The Morality of Resistance course. We also have my course on religious liberty. We also have several aspects of, of First Amendment on there. But what we teach, what I teach, is that for centuries, because we didn't invent the principle of separation of church and state. We adopted it from a history, a long history of fighting for religious liberty, right? And so separation of church and state for centuries has always meant that government has no business in the church. It has never meant that government has no business or that God has no business in government, that your faith has no business in government, period. It's never meant that. It's only been since our most recent bout of education into ignorance, like these law, these professors, right, who want to teach you that you... See, this is the crazy thing, right? Their ideology is that you can have government absent morality. What? How do you have government absent morality? You know what, what happens when you have government absent morality? The people no longer have liberty. You have dictatorships. You have oligarchies. You have, you have uh, tyrannical governments. That's why, that's why John Adams said, our constitution is for a moral and religious people alone. He wasn't saying you had to be Christian. Okay, let's just be clear. As a Christian, I find that offensive that people try to use John Adams' phrase to turn America into a theocracy. He was not saying we all had to be Christians. He was saying we all must have a higher moral principle. We must be governed by a higher authority that tells us Again, that we can't, that we must love our neighbor as ourselves, that we must treat people the way we want to be treated. And he said that because, and he goes on to say that if we become a society absent morality, where our people in government, what do people in government do? They create laws. If the people who create laws, if the people who enforce laws, if the people who prosecute on the, uh, the, the people in, 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 inside of those laws are not governed by a shared morality. If they do not ascribe to a higher power to than themselves, then they, they, they will believe themselves to be God. And he said they will destroy the Constitution as a whale through a net. And so we've been teaching for generations this errant ideology of separation of church and state that says it's a separation of religion from state. It's a separation of faith from state. And so now we teach people that their faith can't be part of their decision-making process in government. Their faith can't be a part of the law-making process in government. So what do you think we get? We get corrupt, lawless, tyrannical dictatorships full of people in government who think they are all a bunch of little gods who have no limit to their power except for what they can cooperatively come together and think of in all of their little god minds. Cass Sunstein wrote about it in his book called Nudge. These people actually believe, I bet you Samir Chopra actually believes these parts of the neo-sapien race 
these people who are the smarter, that's why they get to be in charge, because they're smarter than the rest of us, and they can make decisions about our lives and how we live. You know, you can't drink that much soda, and you can't inhale things that you don't want to, that the government doesn't want you to inhale, and you can't, you can't govern yourself. See, because the little gods in government have made themselves absent from the morality of love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they create this whole new platform of of citizens they call the neo-sapiens. That's why the laws don't apply to Hillary Clinton. That's why the laws don't apply to James Comey. That's why the laws don't apply to Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell or any or, or Lindsey Graham or any of them. It's why the Supreme Court justices feel like they're above the law because we have told them for generations that morality has no business in government and the people themselves have seared their conscience and we believe that that the lesser of two evils is our choice because this is separation of church and state. Sorry, didn't mean to go up on that rant, but this is the problem. When you separate government from morality, you will get not only a despotic government, but a failed society, period. So he goes on to say separation of state and religion, right? Both countries support cr uh, critical traditions that focus on particular clauses of the Constitution. In India, Article 356, which allows for the suspension of state legislative assemblies to permit, quote, direct rule by the center, has provoked considerable uh, critique. While, and here you go now, right? Who is the professor writing? Where is he teaching? What is the forum printing his piece? Right? Do you think Eon would be printing one of my articles? I'm just, just asking for a friend, right? He says, while the U.S., the Second Amendment is a source of perpetual political and legal discord. It's only a source of perpetual political and legal discord because we've been dumbed into stupidity. Absolutely dumbed into stupidity. And that's it. There is really no debating the right to keep and bear arms when you know why it's there and its purpose there. Now here's his thing. The U.S. and Indian constitutions diverge in their stability or flexibility, Mr. Chopra says. The U.S. Constitution is very difficult to change, and here you go. Here's some more spin. Are you ready for the spin? And thanks to a religious American sensibility that teach, treats it as a sacral document, it has simply not evolved impervious to the changing needs of a growing and, pro and progressing nation and world. This is the problem. You see, they believe that it's a religious ideology that holds our Constitution in its place because they're ignorant about what the Constitution actually says. They're ignorant about why it's there and what it actually is. You see, Mr. Chopra, Mr. Chopra works for Brooklyn College. I guarantee, let's put his little face up here again. I guarantee Mr. Chopra has a contract with Brooklyn College for his employment. I bet Mr. Chopra is pretty attached to his employment contract. I bet Mr. Chopra would be very upset if Brooklyn College wanted to go in and rewrite his employment contract to not mean what he wants it to mean, but to mean what the Brooklyn College wants it to mean. 
Now, would we say that Mr. Chopra's attachment to his employment contract is because he is a religious zealot and has made his employment contract actually sacred? Well, of course not, Mr. Chopra would not actually, he, he would say that that's silly. That's absolutely silly. And it is absolutely silly. His employment contract is quote unquote sacred because it's a legally binding agreement between the parties who created it. Our attachment to the Constitution is not a religious attachment. It is a zealous attachment, yes, but not a religiously zealous attachment because it is our contract that creates our government. And just as Mr. Chopra wouldn't want Brooklyn College to be changing his employment contract, the American people don't want the government to be changing their employment contract. Because when you think about it, that's what the Constitution is. The Constitution creates the union which creates the federal government. Congress does not exist outside the constitutional contract. The president does not exist outside the constitutional contract. The um, Supreme Court does not exist outside the constitutional contract. The Constitution is their employment contract. And we... Their employers don't want the employees changing the terms of their contract. Just as Mr. Chopra wouldn't want Brooklyn College to change the terms of the contract, I am fairly certain and quite confident in the position that Brooklyn College would not let Mr. Chopra just go in one day with a red pen and start rewriting his employment contract. So this is another thing that really, really, really chaps my eye. This accusation that our adherence to the Constitution is some place, misplaced religious zealous adhere, uh, uh, addiction to whatever. We've made, we've made the Constitution our Bible. That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. And I actually had an opportunity to debate a law professor at the University of Miami on this issue. We've talked about it on the show before. It was a whole lot of fun. I mean, she was top-notch professor, right? Harvard trained, Oxford trained, uh, uh, Chicago uh, University School of Law. I mean, these three elements on a resume for a lawyer, you write your ticket. You can go wherever you want. I debated her over this. And she had no answer. She could not hold up. Could not hold up. She looked so ridiculous. We're at her college. I actually went on her territory. We're at her college. And when she started talking about the fact that I, only reason I like the Constitution is because I, these are her words, only reason I have an attachment to the Constitution is because I'm a religious zealot that wants to oppress people. Those were her exact words. Do you think, do you think that I jumped on her narrative and tried to dispute her? No. Why would I, why would I even fall for that straw man? It's ridiculous. Instead, I completely ignored her and went on to teach the, the body of, college, of, of law students and, by the way, her boss, the dean of the law school, was sitting in there too, about how the Constitution is a contract. Not just contract theory, because that's what these, these lawyers who are trained into imbecility will tell you. Oh, she's talking about the contract theory. It's not a theory, numbskull. Our founders, the guys who wrote it, the guys who ratified it, referred to it over and over and over and over again as a contract. That is not theory. That is fact. And so I mentioned some of those things, right? I mentioned those quotes about it being a contract. I mentioned those things about it being 
uh, a contract between the states that creates the federal government. And then I brought up the point that I just made about Mr. Chopra and his Brooklyn College employment contract. And I said, I'm pretty sure that our, our professor here wouldn't consider her employment contract to be a living, breathing document. And yet she wants us to suppose that the supreme contract of the land is a living, breathing document. At which point I was so elated because I'm seeing the light bulbs go off over these law students' heads and I get to see the dean of the law school go like this. She did the, the most beautiful palm, face palm that I've ever been able to experience because it was an affirmation of my victory. <laughs> so, this is their argument. We're a bunch of religious zealots who only want to oppress people. And that's why we're, we hold strict to the Constitution. Nope. We hold strict to the Constitution because it is the supreme law of the land, it is the limit of government, and it is in writing so that it can't become the tool of the oppressors to oppress the minority, right? All this democracy garbage. I, democracy, democracy, democracy. They keep using that word. I don't think they know what that word actually means. Because one side of their mouth, they're yelling democracy. The other side of their mouth, they're yelling rights for minorities. Okay, do you want a democracy or do you want rights for minorities? Because you can't eat your cake and have it too. Because in a democracy, majority rules. And excuse me, majority is not minority. In a democracy, a minority has no rights. So don't go mouthing your garbage about minorities and tell me you want to live in a democracy. Because then that just shows me how ignorant you actually are. As Hannah Winthrop says, you're maddening on to your own destruction. Because the crazy thing is, I don't know, hey guys out there in YouTube studio, help me understand this. Do the LGBT actually believe that they're a majority in America? Do the minority populations that, we, that, that need to be protected by hate crime laws, right? Why do we need hate crime laws? Because we need to make certain classes of people, we need to protect their rights because they're a minority in population, right? The LGBT group will tell you we need special favors, we need special considerations, we need special protections because we're not the majority. And yet at the same time, they want America to be a democracy? I'm thinking you guys need to go look up that word. Yeah. I'm really, really thinking they need to go look up that word. And so Chopra's problem is that you can't amend the Constitution easily. Now, to his defense, he says that the, cons the, the Indian Constitution can be amended too easily. So you need to find a balance there, right? Well, I don't think it's... I don't think it's too hard to amend our Constitution and neither the people who wrote it. And Chopra thinks it's too hard to amend because he doesn't like, because he doesn't understand it. Let me explain to you what Chopra would amend because he, he talks, he alludes to it right here, all right? He says, in 1947, Justice Felix Frankfurter wrote to a member of India's drafting committee, Sir Benegal Narsingh Rao, advising him to delete references to, quote, due process of, of law from the working draft of the Constitution of India. So, we can glean by this article that Mr. Chopra doesn't like the fact that we have a right to due process in America recognized by our Constitution. Now, what's crazy here is you can't even like wrap your brain around this, lo what is this, absence of logic. I've been watching a lot of um, um, Cumberpatch's Sherlock Holmes lately, so my brain is functioning, you know, in this hyperlogic thing. And so I'm not able to really wrap my brain around this. And he says 
that he says um, Frankfurter's logic was simple. In the so-called Lochner era, 1897 to 1937,, the U.S. Supreme Court, by utilizing its power of judicial review, had often struck down social welfare legislation enacted by a busy U.S. legislature. The legislature's social welfare programs were responses to the needs of an economically desperate polity. The court answered by asserting the needs of the business class and the haves. Now this is obviously his interpretation, right? Because remember now, we're talking about eliminating due process. And he says, such anti-democratic inclinations were arrested only by the switch in time that saves nine. And he's talking about how um, Roosevelt threatened to stack the courts if the courts didn't support his new deal. So, um, yeah, Roosevelt, uh, FDR, actually uh, bullied and engaged in political extortion over our Supreme Court to get them to do unconstitutional things. So let me boil it down to you from a constitutional perspective what he's talking about here. He's saying that when the Supreme Court said that the federal government does not have a delegated authority to engage in welfare, right? Because they don't. The Constitution does not delegate that authority to the federal government to take money from you and hand it to me. They don't have that authority, and that's not my opinion, by the way. The father of the Constitution, also known as James Madison, explained that very fact to Congress in 1792. And if you don't know about that, you need to go to chrisannhall.com and read an article that I wrote called uh, General Welfare Clause, Not About Money. And so he says, because the Supreme Court in their day adhered to the limited and and defined nature of the legislative branch, you can't write laws to steal from people and give to others, that that was corporate greed. No, that's due process, right? Because, because Chopra assumes that what we're going to be doing is taking money from the rich and give to the poor, right? And here's the crazy thing. The claim is the right to due process protects the rich from having to give to the poor. Do you see how these communists think? I hope that my friend Victor is watching this today or, or will be watching it later, listening later. This is how these communists think. This is why they hate the Constitution, because they're dumb. And I don't mean to say that. They are just flat out ignorant. This guy thinks that the right to due process means it, the, the, the right to due process is a protection for the rich so they don't have to give to the poor. That's what he's saying. No. Due process is a protection for me to keep the government from taking my stuff without a right to a trial, with a right to a, without a right to a jury, without a right to confront witnesses against me. Right? I, 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 want, I want to cover this. I want you guys to see this. This is absolutely crazy. This communist line of thinking, right? So we have to remove the due process clause because the due process clause protects the rich people and keeps them, the government, from taking their money to give to the poor, right? So he says... The due process, the first version of the due process clause in the Constitution of India had read this. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. They amended the Indian Constitution and the word property was deleted. So now it reads, nor shall any state deprive any person of life or, or liberty without due process of law. So, in other words, the government can take your property without due process of law. And Mr. Chopra thinks this is an amazing thing. This is a brilliant achievement in political philosophy and political law. That your property can be taken from you by the government without due process. 
maddening on to his own destruction. As a political, self-proclaimed political philosopher, he knows very little about politics and history. He knows very little about communism and Marxism. And he knows very little about the history of government taking property from the people. And so he thinks that we should change our constitution to reflect a society where government should be able to take our property without due process. Where government should be able to deprive, should be, there should be no limit of due process at all as far as government is concerned. And under this argument, we're supposed to all clap our hands and, and cheer because Mr. Chopra believes that he's going to enlighten us into a new evolution of political society and thinking where the government will rob from the rich and give to the poor. Well, that is communism and that is Marxism and that is not liberty. You cannot have liberty if the government can take from you without due process. What kind of life? You can't even have life if the government can take from you without due process. I just want to close out today with a couple, with a few quotes from our founders. I have them here on my computer. They're from a class that I teach at libertyfirstuniversity.com uh, on the Article 5. Uh, amending the Constitution. So I actually have a course at Liberty First University that teaches on amending the Constitution, what our founders intended, what Article 5 actually says, and the concerns we need to have about the delegates, the concerns we need to have about a current convention, and um, even a little bit about the misconceptions and misdirections that were being taught. This is what Jefferson says, because Mr. Chopra says that we should be able to amend our Constitution more frequently. Jefferson says, I'm certainly not an advocate for frequent and untried changes in laws and constitutions. I think moderate imperfections had better be born with, because when once known, we accommodate ourselves to them and find practical means of correcting their ill effects. But I also know that laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind. Now, if you read this, you might think that Jefferson agrees with Mr. Chopra, but he does not. So don't take his words out of context, Mr. Chopra. You have to know the whole context. Because Jefferson's about to explain to us the only reason we should ever, ever amend the Constitution. And he says this. He says, the progress of the human mind, and as that becomes more developed, more enlightened, and new discoveries are made, new truth disclosed, and manners and opinions change with the change of circumstances, institutions must advance also and keep a pace with the times. We might as well require a man to, uh, oh, sorry, I missed this word, let's see, to wear still the coat which fitted him when, under, when a boy as a civilized society to remain under the regimen of their barbarous ancestors. Now this is Thomas Jefferson writing a letter to Sam, Samuel Kirkoval in 1816. Okay, He's saying, and he explains in this letter, the only reason we should ever, ever amend our constitution is when we become so enlightened that we need less government and we can handle more liberty. Communism is not a state of enlightenment. Socialism is not a state of enlightenment. That's what they try to sell you it is. It's not. Slavery is not enlightenment. It is bondage. Tyranny is not enlightenment. It is bondage. And when he's talking about the regimen of their barbarous ancestors, he's talking about communism. He's talking about socialism. Because what he's talking about is tyranny. And that's what these things are. When you can actually advocate as an educated person 
The government should be able to take property from people without due process. You are not an enlightened person. You are a barbarous person. And yes, Blue Bug, I would love to be in a forum with Mr. Chopra. Just like I said, I'd love to be in a forum with Mr. Epps. I don't think that's going to happen in this day and age. They find plenty of excuses. You know, I'm not qualified. Which is kind of uh, illogical, right? If I'm not qualified, then why not have a forum with me? Because then I should be easy to conquer, right? No. They, the problem is they know I'm qualified. And they know they're not. They, they know they have no argument to this. They cannot defeat the truth of liberty. So the only time we should be amending the Constitution is when we're decreasing government power to expand the liberty of the people. And that's it. For very serious... See, the Constitution is a document of principles. It's not a statutory book that tells you you shouldn't be driving more than 75 on the interstate. And so if we're going to amend the Constitution, it needs to be for principles and not for ideologies. And that's bottom line. Caitlin Carroll is asking me, have I ever been on the Dave Rubin show? Nope, I've never been on the Dave Rubin show. Um, but uh, uh, Blue Bug, I, I was also a fan of Neil Bortz as well. And so um, I just want us to understand just a little bit about this argument about amending the Constitution and um, why we have this argument. It's because they're Marxists, they're communists, and they hate liberty. And they hate liberty to their own destruction. Because they think they're the Neo-Sapiens and they have some kind of uh, misconstrued perception that they're the ones that are going to be in the top. See, the only reason people like Marxism or communism is because they think they're going to be on the winning side of it. The only reason they like democracy is because they think they're going to be in the majority. Well, the majorities change. And ask the people who thought they were going to be on the winning side when they yoked up with Stalin how that turned out for them. So yes, I agree. We should hold tight to our Constitution. We have failed to hold tight to our Constitution for a very, very long time. So it's time for us to make sure that we get back to these principled truths. Remember, you don't know somebody know something until you're comfortable. You don't actually know something until you think you can teach it. You really want to know a subject, get so comfortable with it, you can teach it, and you can do that at Liberty First University. That's what we do. We teach you, we make you teachers of the Constitution. Once again, I want to thank everybody who, for your support, not only through our Liberty Gear, through membership with Liberty First University. Also, you can support us by texting IMPACT2020 to 33777 and as we found out from Miss Bennett Lisa Bennett you can send us stuff in the mail PO box 26 Wellburn Florida 32094 we are so grateful for your help we praise God for your support thank you so much for joining me here today on the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal I hope that you've enjoyed this Liberty First Classroom teach show, not a talk show. God bless you guys. I will see you next time.